You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, today we are having a little bit of an intimate session. It's you and me. We're back down to a Q&A session on everything that's been coming up through our door over the last couple of months. Next week is going to be a super exciting episode. I hope you are hanging out for it. We have Brendan Ptolemy in to celebrate our 100th episode. Cannot wait to have a chat with him about how the market's been going on that broader spectrum and really getting in some insights on his perspective on the valuer side. But today we are answering your questions. There's quite a lot of them and quite a lot to get through. We'll uh, start from the top. First question comes from James. It is, is it worthwhile subdividing a small 400 square meter block? It's R60 and it's in Shenton Park. James, really cool question. Uh, not many people try and subdivide properties that are underneath, that are under maybe 700 square meters. But when you're in a zoning as dense as R60 and in a suburb so close to the city with such a high price point, being Shenton Park, subdividing a property at 400 square meters doesn't sound that crazy. Now, I guess the real tweaker here, the real determinant is how valuable is that house that's existing on that land. Now, if that house is a really beautiful old heritage building or quite a new one that's cost quite a few hundred thousand dollars to build, it's very unlikely you'll make any money out of that subdivision because you're destroying too much of the existing value in the property. If, however, it's an old property that really is run down and ready to go, I would suspect that the most profitable outcome for you would definitely be to split that property down the middle into two side-by-side 200 square meter blocks and uh, building uh, something pretty cool, so a townhouse level, architecturally designed, something unique in Shenton Park because there's definitely the money, there's definitely the need and there's also an expectation that the properties are something special. So that will be my advice, James. Thanks for the email a couple of weeks ago. Next question comes from Malada. What's the cost and time to do a subdivision? May I would recommend popping on to our podcast episodes about subdivision themselves, but generally you would be at a minimum 30-something grand, uh, a median number of between 50 and 70 grand, and sometimes up to 150, 200 grand if you're really in the wrong spot. So uh, that's probably the best advice I could give you quickly whilst we get through the next questions, but definitely check out the Intro to Subdivision podcast with Dave Gilbert, our property development manager from Strategic Surveying. Chloe asks, looking at buying in the north side of Perth. I'm torn between buying and building this time around. Are we better off investing now or waiting six months in case the market drops? Chloe, I guess that really comes down to your perspective on the market. My perspective is that we are definitely in the early stages of a strong growth phase in Western Australia. So if you were to wait another six months, our perspective is you'll be paying more then than you would now. So I would definitely be buying an established property. I wouldn't be building. The builders have already pretty much shut up shop and they're definitely charging overs for their services right now if you're not in that development space. That would be my advice there. Get in early and buy something established whilst everyone's running around in the house and land market space. Jen asks, we had been told by an agent who's made inquiries on our behalf that the shires require a certain amount of money in order to develop a certain amount of units or uh, blocks on our one acre property. Can you explain Jen, you're not wrong. Uh, when you are developing over three or four or five, depending on the council, lots on your existing lot, you will have to pay a contribution called 
public open space contribution. That's usually set at a cost of 10% of the existing land value. So if your property is worth $500,000, in order to clear a condition of that subdivision to get the property titled, you'll have to pay your local council $50,000 in cash on top of the myriad of other conditions that normally cost between that sort of, you know, sixty dollars to $100,000 for that size of a block. So, quite expensive. A lot of people decide, look, let's not bother going to that five or six properties. Let's keep it at three or four and avoid having to pay public open space. Mike asks, uh, what do we look out for when calculating return on a development, including GST? Michael, my hurdle rate is uh, having a look at two different factors. One is the margin on development cost. Usually, I want to see that up in the high teens and also the uh, internal rate of return, which is a margin on development cost with a time factor. And I want to see that in the high teens as well. So, uh, at the very minimum, I want that as my project and I want to be leveraging my money with the banks so that I can be making you know as close to 100% return on my money as possible. Okay, next question comes from Dan. Do you see any opportunities for a dual frontage subdivision in the western suburbs? Dan, this is an awesome question. You've clearly been doing your research. Mate, I'm a little skeptical as to whether that would be the most profitable outcome. If you're looking at the development sites in and around Netherlands, that sort of area, most of those sites have been rezoned for higher density than just turning one block into two. Therefore, the sales value, the, the price you're going to have to pay at the front end to get that property will generally be too high for you to be able to make a profitable development by just turning one property into two. Now, if you've already got that property and you'd be just looking to maybe rebuild on half the block, then certainly you can cut half the block off and help have that help pay down your loan or pay for your build. But if you're going to go in there and buy, uh, I find that you at least need to be turning that property into three or four new properties to be able to make enough money to justify the price you're paying. Good question, Dan. Uh, next question comes from Lydia. How important is the area when choosing an investment property other than close to infrastructure? What else should you consider? Really good one, Lydia. My four factors that I always stick with are how close are you to water, being the ocean or the river. The most expensive and strongest part of our market are those that are close to the ocean and the river, i.e. Peppermint Grove, Mosman Park, Cottesloe, those sort of areas. Secondly, how close are you to the city? Most of us still work in the city, so we want to be as close as possible to reduce transport times. Thirdly, how close are we to activity centers? You know, Beaufort Street, Claremont, Leaderville, Vic Park, Fremantle. Those sort of areas help us enjoy our lives, and the closer we are to them, the more often we're enjoying our lives. And finally, how close are we or are we in uh, some great state school uh, school zones like Willerton, Applecross, Rossmoyne, Churchlands, Mount Lawley. These school zones, Bob Hawke school zone as well, These uh, you, you essentially you're paying a premium to get in. Uh, and also, it's generally insulating any uh, price drops. For example, over the last five years, properties in those school zones were much more insulated when it comes to price drops. Great question, Lydia. That's Those are the four things that I stick to. Uh, next question, Deanne Laus. Will property prices crash after the build grant and JobKeeper money stops? That's a really interesting question. I guess the skeptics in the world would suggest that that's possible. My position is that, in, at least in Western Australia, the JobKeeper is something that's far less reliant on than in the East Coast. 
most of us have got our jobs back. And for example, the wage price index in Western Australia demonstrates that we, uh, most of us have got our jobs back. And especially those people in a financial situation to own and buy a property, most of us have been insulated from job losses in the first place. So really important to note that, that it's not all doom and gloom. In fact, regardless of the bill grants, our transaction numbers are you know, a good 60-70% up on last year. Our stock on market is a good 50% down on last year. And our rental property vacancy rates are half of what they were in the boom. So twice as tight as the boom. So all those indicators, regardless of the grants, regardless of COVID, uh, have been pushing through before COVID uh, through to now to be demonstrating that we are in an uprising of prices. Uh, and I think it will continue that way, especially with no one leaving Perth these days and lots of people trying to get back in. Next question, Ben, uh, how much harder is it for mum and dad developer to obtain finance these days? What kind of interest rates are we looking for? Ben, I actually think it's easier these days. It was definitely a lot harder a year and a half ago when the floor on assessment rates was up at 7.5%. We're now at 5.5%. So you're effectively, artificially, 27% richer in the bank's eyes in terms of your servicing. Now that the Royal Banking Commission is not breaking everyone's balls as well, the, the banks are a bit more relaxed giving finance. And they've also been given a directive by the government to start opening the floodgates a little bit to get more credit going. So this is actually a great time to be looking to get finance, I think. Uh, interest rates, owner-occupier, low twos, investors, higher twos, early threes. Sandra asks, any book recommendations for us in regards to structuring our loans for tax-effective purposes? Sorry, Sandra, I don't really have any uh, great answers for you. I would have thought, hopefully, that we're giving you some great advice with uh, Sam Carello and, and Carlo Bordi, our finance and tax guys on this podcast. And uh, if you have any questions specific to that, I, I would suggest give them a call directly. Nothing better than going straight to the horse's mouth. Simon asks, can you get the same quality of build right now than you could a year ago, given uh, all of the grants are thinning out our workforce? Simon, that's definitely a question that is really quite pertinent. I think it's going to get more pertinent going forward as we have more builds and less people to uh, effectively build those properties. Now, I think it's just a case of making sure that with regardless of the builder you go with, you're always staying on them and probably a good time to hire a building inspector, an independent building inspector that can help to ensure that your build meets the code and the spec and the quality that you signed up for. I think that's a really good place to start. If you still want to get that build done, I suggest it earlier rather than later because it's only going to get harder to find talent, to find uh, staff, labor to get uh, these builds done a good year from now, I would have thought. The next question comes from Choice. Name some good locations in Perth to buy land and build a house for investment and residence. Choice, the closer you are to the city, the better. Stay away from all of the house and land suburbs. Everywhere where a, a land developer and a builder is in bed with each other trying to sell you something next to a display home, these are not good places to buy land and build a home. I will be looking at as close as the to the city as you can in infill suburbs, existing older suburbs where you might be able to find an old property that you can knock down and then build on that. That's where you should be going. And then really the location just has to be somewhere that meets your lifestyle so that you can live the best life you possibly can. The closer you are that you are to the city in an established older suburb with older houses, the better financial decision it will be. Harry asks, if we missed out on the grants, would it make sense to hold back building until maybe a year from now? Would the build costs come down? Harry, unfortunately, the information I'm getting from the builders as well is that uh, the days of build prices back in April and May, they're gone. They're not coming back. 
they were on such a low level of pretty much no profit, just building it for nothing, just to keep the kilns running. That, uh, now that they've got enough work for the next year, uh, and you know the market's really picking up in that space as well, uh, we'll probably never see prices like that again ever. So uh, I would suggest that if you are looking to build. Whilst you can still get the grants now, we've got till the end of the year to sign a build contract and there are still a lot of builders who are keen and open to sign build contracts before the end of the year. Get involved with them. We can help you out if you'd like uh, and uh, get that piece of land or if you haven't already got it, get it moving now because at least you'll have the grants to offset the rising prices in the builds that we've already seen. Next question comes from uh, Mr. DIY. Do you think Perth metro area prices will trend up or down over the next three to five years and by what percentage? Look, I'm not going to put a percentage on you, uh, but uh, definitely I think from the next three to five years, uh, we're going to be seeing some significant growth across the board within 20 kilometers of the city. I think we'll be having still a very painful time ahead for those suburbs in the outer suburbs where it's house and land package, where these building grants have just added a seriously higher level of new supply to that market, but where there is a minimal level of supply and undersupply in the established market where they're not building any more land, this is where we have an undersupply, chronic undersupply and a lot of demand in both the rental and the sales markets and therefore own property within 20Ks of the city, not a house and land area. I think you'll be pretty pretty well off. But uh, definitely if you own property outside of that in one of those new estate areas outside Byford, outside Bold Ivis, Ellenbrook or Alchemos, if you can, I would suggest get out and move uh, into an existing older area. Kayla asks, is it a good time to subdivide and build or just subdivide and allow a building company to sell off the plan? Look, I'm not a fan of selling off the plan. I never have been. It's trying to sell the idea of something will never get you the outcome that uh, you're looking for because you're niching your market to someone who's happy to buy an idea. Most people want to touch and feel it. If you wouldn't buy off the plan, why would you expect to be able to sell off the plan? I don't think we're in a market that's that FOMO yet to do that. So if you do have the ability to financially to build, certainly look to build. If you can't afford to build, uh, maybe there's an opportunity for you to sell the land, especially in times like this. Tegan asks, where do you even start? We have a large block. We don't know where to begin. Look, Tegan, that's a that's probably the best question we've heard all day. It is that you know sometimes it can be really quite confusing, uh, not to understand the idea of subdivision and development, but just who to ask, who to trust, and where to go. Start from episode one of uh, this podcast, Tegan, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of information that you can gather in this 99 episodes. Uh, and look, ask the right people. Everyone on this podcast are the right people to ask for specific uh, information you're looking for. And if you have any more broad information about subdivisions, uh, about building, and, and just generally holistically, certainly uh, give us a call and we can help you out at Strategic Property Group. Finally, Ian asks, what does it cost to subdivide a survey strata block from two into three blocks? Now, that's a really specific and interesting question, Ian. It's not just about doing a subdivision, but you've already got two blocks. I'm guessing maybe it's a duplex pair of built strata, and you like to subdivide them into three blocks. Unfortunately, the cost to do that is nearly the same as going from one to two. Uh, you have to put a new application in. You have to resurvey the block. You have to demolish a lot of the time. You have to uh, get or your Western Power, your water cooperation conditions fulfilled, and therefore that subdivision cost will probably be very similar, somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars for that property. I would have thought. So, unfortunately, it really doesn't make sense to stage subdivisions just to save money. If you're going to do it, uh, do it once and do it properly, guys. Uh, those are the questions we've got at the moment. That's uh, 
16 minutes, hopefully, of uh, good information for you to take on. Again, next week, we will be smashing straight into our 100th episode. Cannot wait to celebrate that and share that information with Brendan Ptolemy from Heron Tob White. Guys, thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!